Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, Lord. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, a week later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. When he, then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and bring your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief, you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We were just talking before Mass about it's been a really intense weekend, all right? And um, and we get to cap it off by just celebrating the Feast of Divine Mercy, which is pretty amazing. I don't know if Patrick planned it that way. You know, and we often um, kind of joke about these things and reflect on these things, but ever since I have gotten involved in this movement 
Um, there have been various things that have just kind of happened, like that we didn't plan according to liturgical feasts. Um, so the organization that I work with, Integrity Restored, we had this big board meeting in Kansas City. Patrick was there. And uh, it was when we were starting to kind of start up, and it was me and Peter Kloponis and Sam and Beth Meyer and Ryan Foley and Patrick and Jim O'Day from, he was working with IPS at the time. And the day that we had this was John Paul II's feast day. Like we had it because that was the day everybody could make it. And then that day it just happened to be John Paul II's feast day. And, uh, and this conference just like moves all the time. It's like a different time of year every year. But I don't think we should ignore the fact that uh, the major victory that was celebrated yesterday as Backpage was shut down like happened in this, these days leading up to the Feast of Divine Mercy. And all of the prayer and intercession that's gone into that. You know, it's not a religious conference, but there's lots of religious people. And, uh, but I do think like this whole movement, like when the first reading talks about how the apostles were there and they were of one mind and heart, like you see a gathering of people that are of one mind and heart. You know, and I'll often say like to any atheist in the room here, like the fact that like I can be in like the room or sharing a podium with Gail Dines and like this atheist person and that person and this like evangelical who was always anti-Catholic, like that's proof that God exists. <laughs> Right? It's proof that God exists, and, and we should all be very grateful for that. And, and so on this feast day, we celebrate of divine mercy, of the fact that our Lord wants to redeem everyone. You know, mercy is the way of conversion. Our Lord wants to bring everyone to conversion. He wants to bring healing to everyone. We have this gospel reading of St. Thomas, and... About four years ago, I was in St. Peter's when John Paul II was canonized, and Pope Francis, in his homily, takes this reading of St. Thomas, and he says, you know, don't be ashamed of the wounds in the body of Christ. Like, Thomas isn't ashamed to put his finger in the wound. And this moment of putting his finger in the wound, which brings him to faith. And Pope Francis, when he uses that, he always talks about the wounded members of the body, right? The wounded members of the church. And how we shouldn't be afraid of going to them. Right? We shouldn't be ashamed of going to them. We shouldn't be ashamed of acknowledging the fact that they exist. You know, and here we're very good at doing that. We're very good at acknowledging that they exist and the many testimonies that we've heard. One of the questions that we should all carry in our hearts, though, is are we good at acknowledging that they exist in our own parishes? You know, are we good at acknowledging that they exist in our mom's Bible study? Are we good at acknowledging that they exist in our classrooms when we're teaching young people? Are we good at acknowledging the fact that they exist in our own hearts? Like that, like we have our own wounds that we carry. 
Because sometimes the thing we're most ashamed of when it comes to the wounds in the body of Christ are our own wounds. Which is a kind of bizarre thing, but I think Thomas is really in a similar place, you know, because he wasn't there when Jesus appears and then he comes back and they probably are telling him the story like, Thomas, we've seen the Lord and uh, he doesn't believe them. But there's a detail about this that is important because it says when Jesus shows up. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. <clears throat> so he shows up and he says, Peace be with you. And he shows them his hands and his side. He shows them his wounds. And the detail is important enough that it shows up in the gospel. And so it must have been important enough that they were like, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And he came in the room and he showed us and he has holes in his hands still. And Thomas doesn't believe him, them. And so one of the questions is, does Thomas doubt the resurrection or does he doubt that he's resurrected with his wounds? Because what he says is, unless I put my finger in the wound, I won't believe you. He doesn't say, unless I slap him on the back, unless I touch his head. He says, unless I put my finger in the wound, I don't believe you. I don't believe that God would be resurrected with the marks of his torture. Like, I don't believe that there was any value to his death. I don't believe that there's any value to his suffering. And then when Jesus comes, he does, in fact, put his hand in the wound. Because sometimes we can be like Thomas and we want Jesus to be resurrected without wounds. You know, tell me about your life as a Christian. Well, you know, like I was, I just kind of always believed. <laughs> tell me your conversion story. Well, I read this really good book by Peter Kreeft and then I was like, oh, I know everything now. It's harder for us to say, I was a big sinner. And these are all the things that I struggled with in my life. And then this person, Jesus, entered into my life and transformed my heart and it changed everything. You know, and the importance of Jesus being resurrected with his wounds is because his wounds are an on-ramp into his life. But they're an on-ramp into his life. Thomas is like, he can take the on-ramp into Jesus' life, which is his wound. When we tell our own stories, you know, it gives an on-ramp into his life. You know, our engaged encounter community in Lincoln, for instance, like we used to always recruit these couples and we'd have interviews and the interview would be like, okay, do you use NFP? Yes, good. Do you, did you have premarital sex? No, good. Do you, like, are, have you always been a faithful Catholic? You know, da 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 That was our interview. And if they passed the interview, we let them be a presenting couple because we wanted to set a good example. And then I took over the community, and I'm like, did you have premarital sex? Yes. Okay, good. I want you to be a presenting couple. 
Why? Because I need somebody to tell a story that I was lost and then I was found. I was a sinner and then I was redeemed. Because the sinner part of the story gives people an on-ramp, like that couple that's sitting out there and you know, they're not perfect yet and they hear about somebody who was in the same place that they're in, now they have a way of moving forward. It's like an on-ramp. And as the church, we should have all these redemption stories that we tell. If we want to minister to people who have these kinds of sexual wounds, like we, they, we have to have stories that we tell that give them an on-ramp. It doesn't mean we have to tell them all the details about our own life, but we do have to be able to give them an on-ramp. When St. Paul's questioned about his own authority, he doesn't sit there and pull out all his degrees, his like rabbi degrees, and tell them about who he studied with and where he studied and what he did and who he won debates with. He just tells a story. I was the worst persecutor of Christians. People were throwing their cloaks at my feet when they were stoning Stephen. And then I was on my way to pull this guy back to Jerusalem to put him on trial and kill him. And then the Lord appeared to me. I was blinded. And the very person I was going to drag off to jail opened my eyes. And that story gives him authority. And that story gives him authority. And it's a story of mercy. Right? It's a story of mercy. Divine mercy, like there's no proclamation of divine mercy unless there's a bunch of broken people who received it. You know, and that's what touches our hearts. You know, I've kind of tell the story a lot. Like this place where this happened most in my life was um, I, I started doing this anti-pornography work like four or five years ago. But my first speaking engagement outside of Lincoln was like Nicosi Conference 1. Um, and I was super nervous, like, what am I doing here? And, uh, and, then, and then slowly things started to build. And I got invited to speak at Josh McDowell Ministries um, Set Free Summit in Greensboro a couple years ago. Um, that was like three years ago, I guess. And, uh, and I was super nervous about being there. And, uh, and I'm getting more comfortable with this, but sometimes it's nerve-wracking to be a priest and you walk into an evangelical conference. <laughs> like, I never knew what it felt like to be a minority, but then when I walk in there, I'm just like, oh, everybody's looking at me funny. Like, I'm different than everyone. I'm wearing this collar. They're like, what are you doing here? Um, and so I go into this conference and, uh, and I was looking for somebody like recognizable. I'm going through the lobby like, where's Rhonda Haas? Like, where's somebody from Covenant Eyes? Because I need friends. Um, and kind of a backstory in my own life, I was exposed to pornography and kind of developed a pornography addiction in college when I was at West Point, escalated through my time in the army. And then I went to the seminary and that's when like healing started to, started to take place. And uh, when I was an army officer, my roommate had a VHS tape, a pornographic VHS tape in the house, and I watched it a ton of times, and all those images get burned in your head. We all know all the brain science. That was 1998. So now, 18 years later, I'm like this speaker at this 
big evangelical Protestant conference against pornography. I'm scanning the room, looking for somebody I recognize, like, pop, this guy's face jumps out of the crowd that was in the video that my roommate owned in 1998. And I was like, <sighs> what's he doing here? Maybe it just looks like him, right? Maybe it just looks like him. The next day, I saw Bill Struthers talking to this person, and, uh, and I pulled Bill aside, and I was like, Bill, who were you talking to earlier? Oh, he used to be in the pornography industry, and now he's here with his pastor. He's trying to figure out how to be a blessing. Ah, oh, crap, I thought so. <laughs> and then Jesus starts in on me. Sean, I really want you to talk to that guy. Yeah, right, Jesus. So the next night I'm out, I finished, gave my, I gave my talk that day, it went super well, all these people are praising me, and I'm out walking on the building, and, and I'm walking down the sidewalk, and that guy was standing outside by himself, perfect opportunity, and I just like, vroom, avoided him. <laughs> so I don't know if he wants to be recognized, do I want him to know that I know who he is? And then Jesus, no, really, I want you to talk to that guy. So the last day of the conference, I went outside, um, to smoke a cigarette Thursday morning because Pope Francis says to smell like your sheep. So, so I went outside for a smoke and this guy comes out to smoke. Okay. And I started talking to him. How's it going? He's like, oh, it's great, it's great. How about you? And I'm like, oh, you know, it's good. I'm a Catholic priest and I'm hearing, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to like, do something more than just hear confessions. And he says, oh yeah, I know, I'm Catholic. I used to be Catholic. Well, that's interesting, too. So we talk a little bit more, and then he decides to just tell me who he is. And he looks at me, and he goes, my story is different than everybody else's story here. I was, a porn, I was an actor in the porn industry for 25 years. Like 25 years, long time. And so I just asked him how he got out. Was it a ministry? Was it this? Was it that? No, no, it wasn't any of that. I just like drove off set one day and I collapsed in my car on the side of the road crying out, Jesus, I just can't do this anymore. Hmm. I know a lot of people who shut their computers down saying, Jesus, I just can't do this anymore. And then he says, I was a Christian before I got in the pornography industry and, and I used to drive in to make pornography and I would be saying, Jesus, forgive me for what I'm about to do. Hmm. I know a lot of people who have said that as they start their computer up. And then he said probably the most important thing anybody's ever said to me since I started doing this work. He said, you know, I kind of want to get up in front of everybody and just say I'm sorry. So I've heard a lot of talks. I've heard ex-industry people talk. But I have never heard like an ex-industry person just simply say, I'm sorry. And when he said that, it mattered to me. Because I've also given a lot of talks and I've talked to a lot of people in my office and they tell me that they were exposed to pornography when they were 10, 11, or 12. And I say, I'm sorry that happened to you. Father, thank you. Nobody's ever said that before. The first person who ever said to me, I'm sorry that happened to you was this ex-porn star at that conference in North Carolina. And it mattered to me. It was kind of like he was saying, I'm sorry that you got exposed to me. And, uh, and in that moment, I was just kind of overcome emotionally. And, 
And I said, you know, if you give talks someday, you should say that. Because I knew exactly who you were as soon as I saw you. There was a time in my life that I think I wanted to be you. But when you said I'm sorry, it really mattered to me, and I forgive you. And then he starts, like, tearing up. Oh, Father, Father, thank you so much for saying that. Father, thank you. Father, Father, give me a hug. And he gives me a hug. And then he just kind of took off. But it was like the most profound year of mercy thing. Because it was right in the middle of the year of mercy. That I had this encounter with somebody like that. You know, for the priest who fights porn to hug a porn star, hashtag year of mercy. But, um, but really in a deep and profound way, it made me reflect on a lot of things. It made me reflect more on what it means to love the sinner and hate the sin. Because in that moment, I hated the sin of pornography as defined by the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I hate what it does to young people. I hate what it does to industry workers. I hate what it does to my brother priest. I hate what it does to couples. But I could love the person who made it in a very clear and distinct way. You can love, you can hate the sin of prostitution and love the prostitute. Because I had always interpreted the love the sin or hate the sin as like, I love my sister, but I hate the fact that she got married outside the church. Mm, my sister doesn't really interpret that as I love my sister. I can hate the sin of apostasy and love my sister who got married outside the church. And I've had to learn to do that. But it also clarified how important it is not to be ashamed of the wounds in the body of Christ. Because if I was ashamed of my own history, I would have never had that conversation with that guy. If I was afraid of my past, I would have never, ever talked to him. I just would have kept like, going around. And I wouldn't have been able to step into that space. You know, which underlies the importance that on this Divine Mercy Sunday, the thing that we reflect on most is the mercy we've received from our Lord. Right? The mercy we've received from him. The way that he's worked in our hearts. The way that he's transformed our lives. That we always are prepared to give an explanation for our joy, says St. Peter. And the explanation for our joy is the very fact that we've received his mercy. And to keep in mind as we do our work, not to be ashamed of the wounds in the body of Christ, but also to just be aware that like, we have to be ministers of mercy to each other. The biggest obstacle to this movement in church bodies are church bodies. Like, the biggest obstacle is our own shame. Within our church, it's our institutional shame because of scandals. And it gets in the way of us preaching the gospel to our young people in a way that they can understand it, in a way that speaks into their lives directly, in a way that brings Jesus into their wound, which is the place of encounter. And so when we run up against roadblocks, we have to remember, like, I have to preach the gospel into the wound in this person, too. 
know, which is another major lesson that I've had to learn is I have to be a priest to my brother priests, I have to be a priest to the youth ministers, I have to be a priest to people who work for the church. Because we all have those places in our lives that need healing. And we can recognize them more as we've received that healing first ourselves. And so today, let us pray in thanksgiving for the great mercy that our Lord has shown us, for the ways that he's manifested himself through our experience of each other, our experience of this group of people that he's brought together, but most of all for the way that he's come into our own lives and transformed our own hearts. We ask him to continue to transform our hearts, that we may radiate his love, and his mercy, most especially to those most vulnerable in our society, those most in need of his mercy in our day-to-day lives.